Father, Son, and Spirit. You speak, we listen. We want to listen in a distracting world with our distracted hearts. Open us now to a space where we can listen. We can listen to your heart. We can hear your voice. We can become the people you've made us to be and the world longs for us to be. So as we open the word, open our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know what you're doing this weekend, but I am heading on sabbatical. I don't know how to spell it. I don't know how to do it, but I am incredibly grateful for this community to allow me and my family time and space to do a sabbatical. Sunday afternoon at 3.44, I'll leave Grand Rapids Airport and fly to Denver, Colorado. I'll land at 6.42 p.m. The next day, I'll make my way over to a retreat center called Restoring the Soul. Doesn't that sound great? The theme for my sabbatical, I felt like I needed to give it a theme, is listening. I'm borrowing the conviction of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who in a book titled Life Together says, the first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking when they should be listening. To my way of seeing things, the missionary action of the church in this post-Christian secularized context, including West Michigan, requires us to nurture the capacity to listen. But not just for the missionary action of the church, for your, like, your own heart, your soul, your life. We, we, are, we, it is, we live in a loud world so loud, so easily distracted. I've been reading this book titled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a former pastor out in Oregon, become, became public speaker, author, John Mark Comer. Check this out. He says, our attention span is dropping with each passing year. In 2000, before the di digital revolution, so like cell phones, it was 12 seconds so not exactly like we had a lot of wiggle room, but since then it's dropped to eight seconds. To put things in perspective, a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. I don't know how you evaluate the attention span of a goldfish, but even to be compared to one does not sound all that encouraging to me. Just for your life, for your soul, for your heart, we need to create space to listen, to quiet down, to listen. So I'm on sabbatical, I'm going to think about, read about, practice, listening. You'll be invited along the way this, this summer into opportunities as well, so pay attention as they arise. For now, I invite you, here's a, here's a book I want you to buy and I want you to read it. It's titled The Listening Life. It is an incredible book. For now, though, let's do what we say we want to be, a listening community. Let's listen. Let's listen to God's heart revealed in the person of Jesus Christ as it's recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 11. If you've been around Pillar a little bit, this is now the third week in a row we've gathered around the story of the raising of Lazarus. The Bible is inexhaustible. You can't find its bottom and you can't reach its height. There's always more. You can never say of the Bible, oh, I read that one. So listen carefully. 
Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sister sent a message to Jesus, he whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard the message, he said, this illness does not lead to death, but rather to God's glory so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then he said, to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you there, and you want to go there again? And Jesus said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I must awaken him. And his disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll be all right. Jesus, however, was speaking of his death. They thought he was merely referring to sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad I was not there, so that you may come to believe. And Thomas, who's called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. When he came near the village, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had already come to Martha and to Mary to console them about their brother. And Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went to meet him, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection on the last day, and Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, will live, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe. You're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And Mary got up and went out quickly now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews saw that Mary got up and went out, they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there, so they went with her. And when Mary came to Jesus and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who were with her also weeping, he was deeply disturbed in his spirit and greatly moved. And he said, tell me where you've laid him. And they said, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So some of the Jews said, see how he loved him. But others said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? When he came, again, deeply disturbed to the tomb, it was a cave and there was a stone lying against it. He said, take away the stone. But Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, 
There's already a stench. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you? If you believed, you'd see the glory of God. So they took the stone away, and Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for the crowd standing here, that they may come to believe that you sent me. And after he said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were bound with strips of cloth. His face was wrapped in cloth. And he said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John chapter 11. I want to get right to the moment. The moment that Jesus shouts into that death tomb, Lazarus, the moment Jesus defies all of our sensibilities and says, come out. The moment any one of us who's lost one we love would give anything for him to do it again. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and his hands and feet were bound with strips of cloth and his face was covered in cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. There's so much here in this Lazarus story. We could spend the rest of our lives plumbing its depths and not find the bottom. So just give me permission to offer two things, God's intentions and our participation. God's intention is life. Whole, full, flourishing, thriving life. John in another part says there is life in his name. Jonathan already offered, I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance, life. God's intention is life, and make no mistake, here in this story, Lazarus was dead. It was over, life gone, the candle out, finished, fine, terminado, it's over. He's dead, he he could not crawl his way out of that cave. He could not turn to some other resource or find some other capacity. Or, or choose another option. It was over, and John wants to make sure we see it. Not only does Jesus say, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And that interesting, odd inclusion in the story about is he sleeping or is he dead? Why does John include that except to make the point, it's over, he's finished. And then multiple times in the story, points out he's been dead for four days. And all of the realities of grief are swirling. All they had to do now was to grieve the loss. And there's there's anger and there's sadness and there's denial and there's even acceptance. Mary says, there's already a stench. It was over. It was finished. There was nothing left in him. There was nothing left for him, if not Jesus. Jesus when, 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 when there's nothing left, when there's no way, when you have no capacity, resource, option, or way out, Jesus is the way. Jesus shows up and shouts, Lazarus, come out. I have a friend out west. This is like some 15, maybe more years ago. A vicious addiction to internet pornography. Destroyed his marriage. Destroyed his family. As they were trying to work things through together, they were meeting with a therapist. The therapist signed a release form so that she and I could communicate and figure out a way to walk with them. The therapist said to me, I'll never forget this. She said to me, he's, he's not hit bottom yet. He still thinks he can manage. He still thinks he can control. He still thinks he can work his way through this one, schmooge his way through, fight his way through, tough his way through. He's got to hit bottom. 
Lazarus was dead. It was over. And Jesus shows up, and Jesus brings life. That's God's intentions. Lazarus, come out, which has been the, God's heart from, the, from every page of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And God said, let there be, and there was life. Or that story in Ezekiel, the hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me up by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. They were very dry And suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, and they stood on their feet a vast multitude, life. Or or the chaos of our world, the wars and the rumors of war and all the concerns that weigh heavy on our hearts. John sees one day a new heaven and a new earth. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Jesus shouts, behold, I'm making all things new. Life, life is God's intention. And yet we're so trapped in our own need to manage and control. We're so reliant on our own resources and capacities and abilities, we distract ourselves from the very one, the very one who brings the thing we're looking for, life. In that uh, book I mentioned earlier, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer quotes Andrew Sullivan in an article. Check check this out. Modernity slowly weakened spirituality by design and accident in favor of commerce. It downplayed silence and mere being in favor of noise and constant action. The reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which faith might endure or be reborn. If the churches came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction, perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. We, we, we busy ourselves and we, we occupy our time and we think we're, we're valuable if the iPhone calendar tells me I've got things to do. And we try to manage our way through our lives, all distractions from the one who brings life. I watch people invest themselves in their jobs and in their relationships and in their clothes and in their likes and in their reposts and in their shares and in their travel and in their title and all of it, all of it's fine, whatever. It's not, it's not bad, but they're distracting you from the one who offers the thing you need most. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. What's super interesting, the language Jesus uses is not the language of resurrection. When he says, Lazarus, come out, it's not the language of resurrection. Earlier in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the anastasis. And then he says, your brother will rise again. He will anastasis. And then Martha says, I know he'll rise again. I know he'll anastasis. But here Jesus says, duro exo. Come out. Come out of that place. Come here. Come out of that place of helplessness and distraction. Come out of that darkness and come here. Jesus is the one. Jesus says, come here. Life, that's God's heart for you. That's God's intention for you. Which, so take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Rest 
It's an invitation to rest, but not apathy. It's an invitation to surrender, but not complacency. It's an invitation, it's a call to participation, but not escapism. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and the dead man came out. He was bound with strips of, his hands and his feet, bound with strips of cloth, his face wrapped in a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus said to them. Curious, isn't it? Jesus has just brought a dead man back to life. He's just done the impossible, a dead man, and we all know he's dead. He'd been dead for four days. You can already smell his decomposing body has brought that man back to life. Don't you think Jesus could also have spoken those bandage cloths into evaporation? But instead says to them, unbind him and let him go. It's participation. You don't have to fix anything. You don't have to save anybody. You are not going to redeem a thing but you can participate, unbind him, and let him go. If you don't mind me playing with words again, when Jesus says unbind him and let him go, let him go, you would think, like release him, free him, send him off, but it's not what Jesus is saying. Unbind him and hupago is the word. Unbind him and walk with him. Unbind him and guide him. Unbind him and lead him. The word means to lead someone in someone else's authority. Jesus is not inviting them to release Lazarus into the wild, but rather to walk with Lazarus in life. Hupago. Walk with people. Isn't that what Bonhoeffer's talking about? The first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Hupago. Have you heard of the Filler Youth Institute? They've, they've done some studies on what keeps children who grew up in the faith and in church community connected to faith and church community after they leave the house. As much as I'd love for it to be great preaching, as much as you might want it to be music, or some of us might think it's youth group, the common denominator is that those children who stay connected to faith could name five people who invested in their lives. Hupago. And isn't that what we're doing at baptism? You just get to see Brighton and little Eloise. And this week we get to baptize Milo and Lena. When we baptize, we invite you all to stand and promise to love, encourage, and support. Hupago. Jesus is inviting us into participation to walk with people. Just walk. You don't have to fix anything. You don't have to redeem anyone. It's not up to you. Just be there. If I can brag a little bit, I'm going on sabbatical, so you'll forget about it by the time I get back anyway. My wife, Kristen, is amazing. She's incredible. Pretty much all of us try to be nice. She's just nice, like just nice. And you know what happens when she gets angry? She gets nicer. So I, I like try to provoke her to anger as much as possible. We have this constant little bicker in our relationship. Whenever we pull up to a, the, one of those busy intersections where someone has a sign and is asking for money, I roll my eyes and start talking about toxic charity and when helping hurts, and she's reaching into her purse. Finally, we've come to some sort of common ground on this one. She, she realizes maybe handing out money on the street corner is not the best way towards a flourishing life. So instead, she went to the store and she bought a bunch of Ziploc bags and she fills them with all these non-perishable items and she keeps them into the, in the cup holder on the side of the door so that when she comes to that intersection, she can hand out a Ziploc bag. She's making up ways to hoopago. Or what about the school counselor? 
walking with the teenager, caught in the crosshairs of a mental health crisis, hupago, or the doctor who not only has the skill to perform the surgery, but has the heart to listen to the patient, hupago, or the police officer who hands out the stickers to the elementary school kids, or the, the neighbor who bakes the cookies and leaves them on your porch just to be nice, hupago, or, or the, the, the employer who cares more about work culture than profit margin, hupago, or the, the, the teenager who's willing to say hi to the kid no one else talks to in the hall because that's probably what Jesus would do, hupago. Just walk with people. Mother Teresa has this great line. Never worry about numbers. Help one person at a time. And always start with the person nearest you. Hupago, just walk with people. Just be with people. You don't have to save a soul. Just be there. So I'm heading on sabbatical. I can't. I'm really curious, actually, to see how it goes. Mostly, I want to say thank you for the space and the time to enter into this new rhythm in life. You'll hear all about it, I'm sure, when I get back in the fall, and I'm hoping that you'll have experiences and stories to share, too. I'm just wondering, though, as, as I enter into sabbatical and we enter into this thing together, can, can, you, can you look around at all the stories that exist in your life, in this community of faith, around the towns that you're a part of. Just look around at the stories, the family down the road that for whatever reason doesn't seem to quite fit into the neighborhood, or the little kid down the street who just doesn't seem to quite have it all together, or the big kid who's sabotaging their own life trying to get attention, or the adult who's basically doing the same thing. All the stories of pain and hurt and heartache and sadness and confusion and loneliness. Loneliness? That's a pandemic. Loneliness? Not, none of us are all of these things all of the time, but each of us knows them at some time. Can, you, will, can we commit together, just for the summer, to one person to walk with? You don't have to fix them. You don't have to advise them. You don't have to give them anything. Just be with them. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were bound with strips of cloth. His face was wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and walk with him. Walk with him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we, we, we hupago, we promise to love, encourage, and support because God in his infinite mercy has done the same for us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to walk with us. And he meets us now at the table. The bread broken, the body of Christ for you, the cup poured out, the blood of Christ shed for you. If you believe Jesus is Lord and acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome to participate in this digital way. And if you're not at that place in life or faith, Thank you for taking the time to engage this far. If we, we would love to hear more of your story and walk with you in any way that would be helpful. You can email office at pillarchurch.com. Come, things are ready.